but you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you hoped you'd never hear again. I am Dave! Welcome to another podcast. This is an open letter. I'm your host, Dave, and to my left is the lovely Carol. Say hi, Carol. Hi, Carol. Very nice. Way to be literal. And uh, to my right is our producer, Chad. That's me. There you go. Awesome. I'm really excited about the podcast tonight. Uh, Last week, we kind of was just an overview of what the podcast, what we want it to be, and the different things and kind of some of the things that are going to guide our conversations. But tonight we're really going to just jump right into a very challenging issue, and I think it's an, uh, a subject that's aff- afflicted many of you that are listening right now. But before we do that, we're going to introduce a new segment to the podcast, and I'm going to call it Off the Cuff. Obviously, this is a brand new podcast, and you're kind of getting to know us and our personalities, and that's a huge part of the podcast is we want you to know who we are. We want to be vulnerable as we're talking into this microphone because we want to be more than just voices through your iPod or through your radio or however you're listening to this on your computer, however you do it. So tonight, Chad, uh, he does not know what these questions are. I've got five pretty rapid-fire questions. Say the first thing that comes to your mind, (laughs) and this is just an opportunity for the audience to get to know you a little better. Okay, ready? Fire away. Favorite book? The Bible. What? Come on, you can't. You said the dude, first thing that oh came my to gosh. my you mind. Can't, I am. I'm really. I believe you 100. percent I know that that is a real answer, and the Bible is your favorite book. I know it is, but you can't answer the Bible because that's way too safe of an answer. But you said the first <laughs> thing that came to my mind. Now there's stipulations. There are always stipulations. Well, you need to make those stipulations clear from the onset. Not. That's more fun not to. Okay, so what's your favorite book besides the Bible? Um, East of Eden. Oh, hmm. interesting. And who's the author of that? Oh, no. Do you know that one, Carol? Used to Isn't that Steinbeck? Steinbeck, yes. Oh, very good. Interesting, interesting. That's yeah, interesting choice. I went I, through this like phase where I was reading classic novels, and that was one of my first ones. Wow. I hmm. mean, my I, like, I've known you for a while, but my respect level just went up a little bit for you. <laughs> well, that's not easy reading, right? I mean, I didn't think you were going to say Charlotte's Web. Not that there's anything wrong with Charlotte's <laughs> Web, but... You know, that's pretty heady stuff. Number two, what's your go-to snack? Um, milk duds. Ooh. Mm. Pull Bit your fillings fame. right out. Yes, they exactly. Won't. When you need to get pumped up, what's one of the songs you like to listen to to get yourself revved up and going? A restart by Newsboys. All right. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Mm, interesting. Huh. Carol, your respect apparently has gone. Carol's respect <laughs> has gone down just a little there. Not sure why that well, matters, but I grew up on Pepsi. My mom was a huge Pepsi drinker. Oh, really? Yes, Interesting. huge. Mm. And then, last question, question number five: When you played Monopoly as a child, did you have a piece you always wanted to be, or didn't it matter? Yeah, the car. <laughs> Doesn't every little boy want to be the car? No, no, no. Uh, some guys want to be the the guy on the horseback. I didn't. Can you be the name all the Monopoly pieces? The horseback. Yeah. The car. The thimble. The oh, Scottish gee. Terrier. The the dog, yeah. The iron. <laughs> the iron. Yes, the iron. I think I that's never it, wanted it? to be the iron. Why would you want to be the iron? I, I mean, don't that, know. I don't I just thought that was very unappealing. 
It's kind of weird. Is that all of them? Nothing Maybe it's it because it's a whole woman don't want to iron clothes thing. Who wants Maybe. to iron? Is that a female thing or are there guys out there like, you know what I love to I do? I know guys who love to iron. What? This I would do. be like the 50s though that it was like that, correct? I don't know. I just, I don't think there's, there's apparently guys out there like when I get home. So what are you doing tonight, Fred? I'm going home and ironing my sheets. Uh, well, why iron? Sheets? I know a guy that irons his shirt every night that he's going to wear the next morning. Does he iron underwear? I didn't get to know him that well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, a little bit of levity in the front end of the podcast here because we are kind of going to go uh, a bit dark tonight as we talk about uh, depression. And I wanted to just talk a little bit. And, and jump into this and talk a little bit about some of my personal beliefs in regards to topics like this. I'm glad there's a God who can rejoice with me. And I'm glad there's a God who understands when I'm happy and things are going wonderful because I've been through some pretty tough stuff in my life. And I really need the God who's there, the God of lamentations, the God who wanted lamentations to be in the Bible because sometimes life is very difficult. And uh, at times we really struggle with things. We struggle with the darkness in our in our lives and doubt. And one of the key things of this podcast is we want to be honest about that stuff because we know there's people listening that you also have doubts and you also have darkness and you have struggles. And and Chad, actually, you had you were reading the Bible today, right? And because the Bible's your favorite book, Amen. <laughs> and, can I get a, can I get an Amen? Another Amen? Can I get a witness? Um, but you were in the book of Job and you uh, obviously knew what the topic was going to be tonight. So you found something I'd like you to read that for us. First of all, let me clarify. This is not intentional. I didn't purposefully look this up. I just happened to be reading Job because that's where I've been reading. At Job chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 11. Job cries out to the Lord after he has had his wife, you know, disown him. His children died and now he's been struck with boils. He says, why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breasts? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep at rest. I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers whose great buildings now lie in ruins. I would rest with princess, a rich in gold, whose palaces were filled with silver. I'll stop right there. Okay. Because I think the message is pretty clear. It is clear. And some of you listening, and, and, and please don't be turned off if you're not a believer and you're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're reading the Bible. And that will be part of our podcast sometimes because, as we said last time, we are people of, of faith in Christ. But I don't want you to feel like this is going to be the super Christian y podcast. Uh, we want to tackle real issues. Unfortunately, we don't think that in the church world, in the Christian world, we don't always do that well. We're going to try to do that well. And then you also said you ran across an article today in USA Today. Yes. And tell us a little bit about what that was saying. Well, it was an article about how every adult ought to be tested for some form of depression. And in it was a statistic that kind of really stuck out to me. And it said 7% of Americans, and that's 16 million people, have at some point dealt with an episode of depression at least one episode of depression. So that's actually... Just in the last year, though, wasn't it? Just within the last yeah. year. And so that means that some could have suffered from more. Right. And and those are the people that are willing to admit it. And there mm -hmm. are a lot of people, and we certainly 
live in a culture where, you know, weakness isn't something that you want to normally, you know, throw out there for everybody. You know, we normally want to present strengths to people because we Mm -hmm. want people to like us because, you know, there's a lot of psychology behind that, actually. I really think it's important that I know that if you read the Bible, depression is dealt with many, many times. And it's talked about often in the book of Job and in the Psalms and in many and in the New Testament as well. Uh, there's lots of references to being downcast and downtrodden and, and your heart is heavy and you're not able to sleep. And Funny you don't hear racing. a whole lot of sermons about it, though. No. And we'll, we're going to dive into a little bit about why we think that is. Really, I'm going to interview Carol tonight. And we did the off-the-cuff kind of silly questions with Chad tonight. But we're gonna, you're going to get to know Carol a lot tonight. And she found a story that she really meant a lot to her as we were kind of doing some uh, research, thinking about this. What do we want to talk about? This is a really tough topic. So what do we want to say? Actually, it's a blog I follow, and it just so happened that this is the story that came up yesterday. (laughs) It's kind of funny how that happens. Yeah. All right. So every year in Australia, because Australians are crazy, (laughs) um, they host this marathon. And so this is a new story for you, Chad. You don't you don't know this. They have this 543.7 mile race. It's this endurance race from Sydney to Melbourne. And apparently they do this every year. And apparently it's the distance from Sydney to Melbourne. It is considered among the world's most grueling ultra marathons. Generally, you want to plan on this race taking five days to complete. And it's normally only attempted by world-class athletes, and they are training for this event. Normally, obviously, these athletes are going to be younger. They're going to be less than 30 years old. And they even have professional sponsors such as Nike or, you know, other athletic companies, Reebok or something like that. So in 1983, this guy shows up for this race. His name is Cliff Young. He's 61 years old, showing up for this race, and he's wearing overalls and work boots. He's wearing, like, these galoshes. This guy shows up. He's not a spectator. This guy's coming to run the race. So as this guy is kind of milling about and people are looking around, everyone's like, what are you doing? You're crazy. There's no way you can finish this race. And he says, no, no, that's I, I'll be fine. Because he grew up as a sheep herder, and he had to herd the sheep by running after them. So he would literally chase these sheep for two, three days at a time, you know, because they had 2,000 acres. So he is helping round them up, you know, keeping the sheep, making sure they're ready to do it. He does the whole thing by running. He's like, I think I can do this. I think I can complete the race. So the race starts. And, of course, you know, they, you know whatever, they shoot the pistol or whatever they do because <laughs> I'm not a racer. Um, <laughs> and if you see my picture on our Facebook page, you'll see why. The pros quickly take off. They leave Cliff in the dust. And apparently there's even crowds and a television audience, too. And Cliff, this guy, he's wearing his overalls, wearing his work boots. He just starts shuffling along. And so everyone leaves him behind, and they know that it's going to take about five days. But nobody told Cliff how the race was supposed to be run. So normally the runners, they run 18 hours a day, and they sleep six. Well, Cliff didn't understand that, so Cliff just never stopped running. He would run, and he just shuffled his his slow little shuffle, and he would run And he just didn't stop. And he ran through the night. And he ran through all the darkness. And the guy just never quit. So by the next morning, he's already way ahead. And so the regular runners, they're planning, they're still sleeping and stuff like this. They probably don't even know he's that far ahead. So this guy, this Cliff Young, finishes in first place. 
He wins $10,000, he finds out after he finishes first place. He didn't even know there was a prize. He was just doing this because he thought it would be kind of this fun thing to do. And since he didn't need the money, he just started giving the money away to the people as they were crossing the other racers as they're crossing the finish line. He just decides he's going to give away the money. He's mm. not even going to keep it. And so he, he decides the next year to run it again, but he finished seventh, and that's because he dislocated his hip while he was running the race. And he won an award. He was the most courageous runner. He still finished. Finished seventh. They gave him a car. And he's like, well, this other guy was much more courageous than I was. So he went ahead and he gave the keys and he gave this car to the other racer. And and this guy was just kind of crazy. And we're going to bring this story back as we talk to Carol about her story because there's some, the way the blogger puts it is some really interesting things that have specifically to do with depression and about what it's like to deal with depression and how to win while struggling with depression. And that. That can seem a lot of people who struggle with depression might scoff at that, but I believe there's some hope that uh, we want to bring into the lives of people who have depression. And really, that's what I want to do tonight uh, as we're talking, is really I have a couple different motives here. And obviously, as you said, Chad, there are millions and millions of people who are afflicted with this, this disease, and they're struggling. And they don't, they don't think there's hope. And so for those people, and you struggle with depression, and you might be in a bout of depression right now, and you're afraid there's no hope, and your thoughts are very dark, and I'm hoping, and yes, even praying, that just the simplicity of these words in Carol's story could give you some hope. I'm not saying it's going to solve or cure you or anything like that, but if it's going to be a little bit of a ray of, of light in the midst of your battle, it's the whole podcast will be worth it. Mm-hmm. And then for those of us, and I don't struggle with depression, right? I mean, I have my good moments and my down moments, but I mean, I'm generally a fairly optimistic person. I want also to help people like myself who I'm dating a girl who struggles with depression, who has depression. And so I'm hoping that this will give some pointers. This will give some help to those of you who don't struggle with depression but are in a relationship or love somebody that does. So one other piece of intro before we get into the questions, and I'll let Carol talk, is I just I want to caution everybody that I'm going to push and I am going to ask some tough questions of Carol. And she's given me permission. We've talked about this. We're probably going to go into some pretty tough stuff for her and She's probably going to, there's probably going to be some tears, maybe, maybe not. And it's okay if there are, or there aren't, but I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop pushing because I think it's important for people to hear her story and I'm not doing this to be a jerk or to hurt her or cause her pain. But I think the honesty and the vulnerability of her story again is going to help people. So that's why we're doing this. Carol. Yes. Would you like to start? You had a couple things you wanted to say before I started my questions. Well, one of the things I wanted to say is that the reason I agreed to do this is not because I enjoy the process. I'm not exactly looking forward to this, but I have also seen how admitting to struggling with depression has helped some of the students that I deal with. And Well, let's let's just tell everyone right now, like, what do you do for a living? I'm a French professor at Grand Valley State University. Okay. I see a lot of different students. I teach a lot of freshman and sophomore level classes, so... I see quite a lot of turnover and um, get to know a lot of people. And 
I've had a lot of students that have finally admitted to me that they struggle with depression. And once, once we start that conversation and I share with them what I go through, they actually come to class more often. That's mm. interesting. It gives them a little more guts to have shared. And so that's, that's my purpose here is there's a song I really like called Nothing is Wasted that talks about how even the painful things that we go through can produce beautiful things in God's hands. And I'm hoping that by sharing this, it'll help somebody. The hurt that broke your heart And left you trembling in the dark Feeling lost a little bit of what you said a minute ago, and that is that as you open yourself in your life to your students, that those who struggle with depression seem to be able to make it to class more frequently. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Because they don't feel alone. How big of it? How big is that in your in, in your fight with depression? It's huge. It's really big. So we're going to talk about this more in depth in a minute. But so, what is one of the biggest struggles about depression when you're in the midst of the battle that sounds like that's one of the big things i think it is a sense of isolation and hopelessness you you really want to reach out to people but at the same time you fear that by exposing that weakness in yourself you're going to push them away and so it compounds that sense of isolation gotcha and why do you feel like that sense of um that reaching out when you have need, why does why do you feel it's going to push people away? Who wants to be around Eeyore? Hmm. Have you experienced that in your own life? Mm-hmm. People, you uh, should know. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that too. And and I also want to say this: uh, in no way, shape, or form are we trying to paint with a broad brush and say that Carol's experiences with depression or everyone's experiences with depression. Of course not. We're just isolating a specific story. Um, again, so to bring help. I've actually heard people say all depression is a spiritual problem (laughs) and they want to, they want to say a blanket statement that points to the cause of depression. It's kind of like saying that, that all diabetes has to do with eating too much sugar. Right. Not helpful. No. And not true. No, it's not helpful. Yeah. And it's, it's not helpful because it's not true. When did you start dealing with depression? I really think that, um, I was struggling with it before I was diagnosed. Which would make sense. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, it would. I mean, long before, because I was finally diagnosed with chronic clinical depression um, the first year that we lived in Grand Rapids, which would have been 1996. Okay. So paint us a little bit of picture of what your life is like at that point. As far Uh, as... At that point? Well, I mean, as far as some of the logistics, kids, marriage, work. We had moved 
to Grand Rapids from Iowa. I was married at the time, had a one-year-old baby. Four weeks prior to our move, I had um, undergone thyroid surgery, a complete thyroidectomy uh, for thyroid cancer. When we moved here, I didn't have insurance for the first 30 days, so I didn't pursue any medical care, which was a mistake. Then we finally got insurance, and I couldn't find a doctor who would take me, who is who was on the insurance and accepting new patients. Oh, gotcha. And um, so when I finally got in to see someone, and he ran some tests, my my body chemistry was pretty pretty wonky. <laughs> pretty whacked. Yeah, okay. it was bad. So how many kids did you have at the time? Just one. Oh, you just, okay. Yeah, you just had the just first a one-year-old. One. What year was this? 96. 96, okay. And then you weren't working, obviously, because no. you just had a baby. I had a one-year-old baby, and I had just had surgery. I had a job that I had to leave in Iowa. Okay. And so as you're starting, and so do you feel like this is when depression actually started for you? No. Okay, so talk, talk to me about when you think it actually started. I think it started in adolescence. What what were some of the things that were happening and the, some of the feelings? Why do you think it started then? Well, I really think that I had a genetic predisposition to it. Why? I, Why do you say that? Gen- depression is hereditary, okay. and there were people in my my dad's family that struggled with it. Okay. Um, my brother, my dad, and his sister. And then some of my cousins on that side. So it was, okay. it, there was a definite pattern of, of a family tendency to depression. All right. So how old are you when you first, now that you're going back and, you know, the hindsight and retrospect? Well, I struggled a lot with, with illnesses as a child. And one of the things that I dealt with was severe migraine headaches. And there were times when the pain was so severe that I really wanted to die. Mm. And some of what, Chad was reading from Job was really how I felt. And how, I just old, how old were you when that started? Nine. Nine, okay. Those are the first glimpses, I would say, I had of, of slipping into that kind of a melancholy state. I wasn't suicidal because I didn't know what that was at the age of nine. Thankfully. Um, I just wished I could die because I felt like if if heaven is this place where there's no pain... And no tears. Why did I have to stay here? That makes sense. So as you get older, do you, were there gaps of time where you didn't really have struggles or was it pretty pervasive through adolescence and adulthood? Um, I think it was pretty pervasive. Okay. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? Like in uh, high school and college? Well, because of the migraines I was taking narcotics on a regular basis okay and they numbed it and so you feel like it was present through there but obviously mm-hmm. with the medication obviously the I mean this powerful narcotics for very severe migraines mm-hmm. it's gonna numb everything yeah right and even the sense you're not so you're not feeling a ton through this time would you say is that accurate or not yeah well I dealt with some pretty painful things in my adolescence as well and that didn't help. Right. So you're, you are feeling through this, but they're muted feelings. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as a high school girl, as a teenager, I mean, you don't know what the heck's going on anyway, because the hormones are firing. And yeah. There's a lot going everyone on. Everyone has a tough time through high school. Oh, absolutely. But 
you know, some have harder times than others. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to, it's okay, you know, to admit that and to grasp that and realize that, you know, it's not a contest. You know, it's not like whoever has the most pain wins or I loses, everything right? everything was a competition, David. Well, pretty much, but not on this one. <laughs> um, because it's okay, because it's uh, a good friend of mine tells this illustration. Uh, so, you know, let's say that after the podcast, you and Chad and I get in a car and we go get some ice cream because, you know, everyone loves ice cream. Especially in a snowstorm. <laughs> That's right. And we get in a car accident and um, your leg is broken and... Um, my back is broken and I have a punctured lung and, and uh, three cracked ribs and Chad has a broken finger. Who's in pain after that accident? Which one of us is in pain? Me. <laughs> all of us. All of us. Of course, all of us are in pain. It's not a competition. No. You, all, you, don't, you don't compare pain. You don't say, my pain is less because this person had more pain. Your pain is your pain and you have to... And we know this, but we yeah. forget it so much, which is why I say it. It's okay if someone had less pain than you. It's okay if someone had more pain than you. That does not invalidate your pain. Mm-hmm. You still have to deal with your pain. So go back to the question. So you're you're going through high school. You're getting, you know, you're in a marriage now. This has been something that has been present mm-hmm. now for a long time. Now, how old were you when you got married? 21. Okay. Oh, 22. And when did you, and then when did you have when did you have your first child? Twenty seven. All right. So now we've had a pattern of this happening since you're nine years old. About mm-hmm. so we've got about eighteen years in here. Of of this is just something that's now present in your life, mm-hmm. and probably you don't even know what it would be like not to have this in your life. Right. And one of the one of the medications for migraine is also used for depression. Mm. So it, I was kind of getting covered a little bit through that. So obviously now you have the baby, the baby's a year old and something's going on. It's either different or you've hit a plateau or a point in your life where you're just like, I can't go on any longer. Well, the cancer diagnosis didn't help. No. So is that (laughs) the thing that really pushed you? Well, it's kind of a, kind of a double whammy because there are a lot of reasons for depression. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's set off by circumstances or a cancer diagnosis or chronic pain. Sometimes it's brought on by uh, spiritual issues, by extreme bitterness mm-hmm. against someone who's hurt you. Sometimes it, you're born with it. Sometimes it's just genetic and you're just, that's the way you are. Right. Like with some of my kids. But thyro- the thyroid, when you're hypothyroid, that by definition, provokes depression because it depletes certain neurotransmitters in your brain. You're already predisposed to this. You have the genetic background that is kind of obviously tipping the scales towards depression happening in you. Then the thyroid's removed. Mm -hmm. So what, what did that at that time, if you remember like what, what did that feel like where you're just like, talk to me a little bit about what that, that place you were in where you felt like I need to see a doctor about this. Which, you know, obviously that was the right call. Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to go, well, I need to see a doctor about this because, I mean, it just, uh, my guess is, is it feels kind of hard to grasp, you know, like when I have, when I stub my toe, I know my toe hurts, you know, and I think when you have depression, maybe sometimes it's harder to know exactly what's hurting or that you even need to see somebody. Well, another symptom of depression is, is lethargy and extreme fatigue. 
which also goes along with hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I could hardly get off the couch and I just, you know, barely made it through every day taking care of Alex, I wrote it off to thyroid issue. But then when I started feeling like every time I went out in the car, I was struggling not to drive into a tree. I knew there was a problem. You know, I've got four kids. They're very draining. You oh, love and them, he you was know. a special one too. <laughs> and uh, you love them like crazy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's nothing like a, uh, and Chad, you've got kids and no, nothing drains you like a child and they're worth it. But when you have that stacked against you, so now you've got all these dominoes, all this stuff mm-hmm. kind of falling, all this stuff stacked against you. And you're like, finally, so how, was that hard to come to the realization that I have to get help? It really was. And I didn't, I didn't believe I was that bad off, but um, after the doctor mm. did his evaluation, he wanted to hospitalize me immediately. Mm. How come? Because he felt like I was a suicide risk. Okay. And, and yeah, he just was afraid for my life. So when he says this, so you're seeing this doctor and you're already at the point where you're something, you know, and obviously everything that's going on, it's pushed you to the point where like, I'm going to get medical help, which I know is scary for you. And that's hard mm-hmm. for you because it's admission. It feels like an admission of weakness, even though it's not. Yeah. And when he, when he suggested the hospital and this was the same doctor that was doing my, um, thyroid and cancer care, he okay. was an internal specialist. Um, but when he said the hospital, I just felt like a complete failure. No, why, why failure there? Because I could not, I couldn't care for my child. I couldn't take care of the home. Okay. So I was incapable of doing what I was supposed to do. And you chalk that up to a deficiency in you. Yeah. Well, if you had a broken leg, nobody would have questioned that you needed help and you needed someone to come in and take care of your child. True. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to me. That that's not, certainly, that's that's common. That happens all the time. But when you look at it from that perspective, that sounds crazy. Yeah. Right? There's something very real medically going on inside your body. And yet, because of, and I think that's interesting to talk about what frames it in such a way that it gets so stigmatized that it's not like, well, there's this thing going on and I have to get it fixed. I have to get it better. And it's preventing mm-hmm. me from doing these things. Because mm-hmm. if I would have said, Carol, you got that broken leg. We need to run a marathon. Let's go. Come on. What, what's wrong with you? Well, and it's funny because I've gone through this talk with my own, couple of my own kids. And I said, you know, look, if you had diabetes, you would take insulin. If you had any other kind of medical problem, you would take whatever medi- medication was required to balance out those chemicals in your body it's another set of chemicals in your brain that you need to balance out so why do we why do we treat this differently it's stigmatized why i don't know and then just some thoughts i mean i i kind of have some thoughts on it myself but do you do we have some thoughts here and maybe we don't and that's okay I don't know, chad do you have any thoughts why do you think depression gets stigmatized like something you just have to just deal with it you know this well, Christians are supposed to be joyful <laughs> you have any thoughts on that, Chad? <laughs> I think it goes a step further. I think society in general, we're taught to toughen it up. Tough it out? Tough it out. Yep. Just take your pillow and swallow it. Deal, with, deal it. with it. Yep. Rub some dirt on it. Walk right. it off. And I think that may have to do with the fact that depression, 
was not diagnosed properly throughout the years. It was just viewed as being weak. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Uh, and I think you're right. So you, you've been diagnosed, you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you, I think you need to be hospitalized. And your first thought is I failed. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm wow. Thank goodness. Someone has, <laughs> you know, shine the light and they've identified this. Now, were you thinking that you had caused this or you deserved this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know. Did you, by chance, blame yourself or blame God because you believe that maybe he created you as less of a human as everybody else because of what you were going through? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. I so, felt like a sub-quality. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about your emotions towards God during this process, especially the diagnosis. Boy, it's been, <laughs> it's been a long time. It's hard to go back there. Um, well, it's not fun to go back there no, either. No, it's not. <sighs> As you're thinking, I'll just fill this in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a, I wasn't planning on getting into this tonight, but I have a therapist in, uh, that I see. And we had talked about a couple months ago, there's two different types of time. There's Kronos time and Kairos time. Chronos is going through, and that's where we get the word chronological, that we're going through this life one second at a time. That's the only way that we can go through time. But then if you think of God being outside of time, that's more of a reference to what is like Kairos time. And forgive me if I'm saying this somewhat wrong. I am not a theologian or or a philosopher. But Kairos time is more of an idea that God, like outside of time, and it's already all happened. Time has already taken place. It's done. It's finished. it's all taking place. Yeah, all taking place. At the same time. Yeah. So... To remind you, because we've talked about this. Yes. So if that's true, and I think it's an interesting idea, and I think mm-hmm. there's power to it, that 28-year-old Carol is still there. Mm-hmm. She still exists. She's still somewhat present even in you. So what What did that girl feel? What did that 28-year-old girl feel towards God? Well, well we've talked about this before, too. I, I didn't really allow myself to feel angry. Ever. <laughs> right, and that's but from that, upbringing. If I were to put a name on it, I would say that I was angry. I was frustrated because I wanted to do things. I, I felt like I could be so much more productive as a Christian and to accomplish his purposes if, if I were a functional human being. But I'd been created with this, this lack. Did you think it was a an, handicap? Did you think it was something that was, it just kind of happened? Or did you think that it was like God was intentional or something he allowed, or did you not even dare to go into those waters? I would say that I, I would have, at the time I would have said that it was something he allowed. Okay. And I know that sometimes as you know, listeners talking to you guys a minute, I know there's sometimes there are difficult waters to sail into and, uh, and sometimes we have to go to places we don't want to go because that's where the healing lies. Mm-hmm. And, and it's tough now because as you look back on it, you know, I don't think God is like, okay, Carol is going to have depression and Chad's going to struggle with this and Dave's going to struggle with that. And that's like his intention that he wants that. But why, why depression in your life? Why do you think this is, we know mm-hmm. the genetic part, but if you think of the spiritual part, 
what's going on? Why would a God, if we, we believe there's a God of love, the, died, the God who died on the cross, sent his son, you know, and gave his life and rose again and, and loves us. And we believe all that. All three of us do. But it's hard to reconcile that message of God with now that same God has allowed you to have depression for pretty much your entire life. How do you reconcile that? Well, the way I look at it now is that our world is broken. There's a lot that goes wrong in our world. And every human being that's born is flawed in some way, even though they look so adorably perfect when they're first born. We can be flawed in so many different ways. And I was born into a broken world, and so I was born a little bit broken. But I feel today's Carol, looking back, I can see how God orchestrated things and has been able to accomplish things because of my depression. All right. Well, we appreciate you listening today. This has been a very long conversation. We're going to take a break right now. Uh, the conversation has has continued already, and uh, we've already wrapped it, but we want to wrap this first hour or so up of the podcast, and we're going to publish part two in about another uh, few days or so. So thanks for listening tonight. We do have a lot more of Carol's stories, probably in about another hour or so. And we really get into some more hopeful things about how, how you deal with depression, how do you help people with depression. And those with depression, what are some very practical things you can do? So thanks for listening. We very much appreciate it. We are creating some new ways for you to get into contact with us. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We need you to spread the word on this podcast. Um, we've had about 30 plays already from the first podcast, and we didn't really even talk about that much. We feel like this is a really important podcast, so there's a couple ways to interact with us and spread the news. We do have an email. It is an open letter, the number two, the letter U. So an open letter to you at gmail.com is our email address. We have a Twitter account. It is at an open letter, or we're on Facebook, and the name of our page is an open letter contact us in those places and in those ways we really love to hear from you